Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to The Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 454 of The Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. I'm so excited about this topic, this conversation. We are going to be talking about our sort of writerly lives, the the lives that we both live in the writerly sphere. And I know you and I have both covered writing in a, a lot of different ways over the years and different topics. We've done episodes where we talked about sort of how we've made a living as a writer or how we've gotten published as a writer. And I think this one maybe will be a little broader because it's more just about like living in a writerly way, which doesn't necessarily always mean um, getting paid to write or yeah. like doing it for a job. It can mean that for both of us at different times. It has meant that, but it can mean a whole lot of things. It can. I'm almost thinking, do you remember that more than mom episode we did a few years ago called romanticizing, not romanticize your life, but it was a play on that, like romanticizing everyday things. Yeah. I think this ties in, especially for me, because like you said, there have been seasons where I haven't been doing a lot of writing. And yet since I was a little tiny girl, I have romanticized the writerly life and sort of like put cast myself as the central character in a writerly life. And um, so I'm excited to talk about this. I'm actually hoping to come out of this recording session feeling very motivated to write. So I'm excited to dig in. Yeah, like just, um, I don't know, full disclosure, neither of us have ever lived like in a, what's it called, a turret? The thing that you yeah. walk up a little spiral oh. staircase into. Mm -hmm. Neither a one garret. of us write. Garrett, Garrett, Garrett. Neither one of us write on an old typewriter. That would be nice. It would be nice. Well, that's part of the fantasy, right? Yeah. Um, I did want to mention that this topic was partly inspired because we actually have a new book project coming out next week that I don't think we've talked a whole lot about on the show, and that's called The Mother's Gratitude Journal. 
We'll talk a little bit more specifically about that book at the end of this episode, but we are in the pre-order period right now, which for authors is a really important part of the book launch. So we would love for you to all check it out and we will talk a little bit more about that later. But I guess while it wasn't a full length book project, it's not like we had to sit there and, and, you know, write a novel for six months or anything like that. It still required us both individually and together to sit down at our computers and pull together and like present written content in a way that's really different from planning a podcast. And um, I have to say for myself that that focused writing time, working on a specific project for a deadline was really helpful because over the last several years, I sort of have been working my way back toward this writerly way of life. And for me, having deadlines and milestones to work toward, even if they're really small, can be helpful. Sarah, I think it actually may get in your way sometimes if you're Sarah, but tell us a little bit like how you think about that. Well, actually, what I took away from our book project together, I feel like one of the biggest things for me was I love learning how the sausage is made almost in any industry, but obviously, especially in industries that I'm adjacent to. And you have published books before and I have not. So I really enjoyed um, just having knowledge about like what goes into a book proposal, what goes into um, a meeting about a potential book project, like how do the deadlines work? Um, what, what, who are the players on the other side of a publisher who you're in contact with? And, you know, I've lived vicariously through you and some other good friend authors over the years, but I've, I've definitely felt a little bit like on the sidelines of book authorship for a long time. Um, and this was a very like a, a very approachable way to have my first experience because we'll talk later, but it's, it's not a book of like 400 pages of, of written uh, material. Like you said, we, we really helped create a guided journal. Um, but I feel like I got a great insight into the more industry side of things. Um, and then, yeah, we're, we're going to dig into things like having specific deadlines and specific projects and how that can both um, get in the way of creativity sometimes, but also be so essential if you are trying to get something done. So I, I'm so glad we did it. Me too. And that'll be part of our overall conversation because we're really going to dive into what being a writer for each of us has looked like in the past and then what it didn't look like for a long time. But mm-hmm. like for a while, it looked like not, nothing for either one of us. And then how it looks for us each now. It, I think it's kind of an interesting, it's interesting that we've been on these sort of parallel journeys where we're both back at it, but in different ways. Yeah. And I mean, I know some people listening know our whole origin story, but many don't. I mean, you have, you've literally been here, Megan, for I guess my entire writerly life as it relates to writing about motherhood and parenting. I'll talk later about the writing I did before us, but I feel like, yeah, we've been, even though we're not always doing projects together, we've been in each other's writerly lives now for 12 years, I want to yeah, say. That's how we met. No, 13 we years. Met. It'll be 13 yeah. years this summer because the writing class I took from you is in 2011. Yeah. And so. it, what's funny about that is at that point, I was kind of on the decline of my sort of initial push into writing because yeah. I had started in 20, 2003. So, um, yeah, it's been really interesting to see it all play out. And And right now, I did notice that I've had this burst of writerly energy over the last year. I'm working on a book that will come out in 2025. I've been writing on Substack a lot. You're writing for a local publication and you've been setting aside more dedicated time for writing. So let's dive into how 
those writerly lives have kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. Let's start by kind of like detailing that history, um, the history of our writing lives up until the point where we kind of weren't doing it anymore, which for me started right around 2015. And I feel like maybe for you similarly, like I feel like that's when we yeah. both sort of took a, a nosedive yeah. um, out of the blogging world. So I started writing professionally in 2003. I was pregnant with Will. I was desperate to make money. Um, I chose writing as a way to do it. Like I, I knew I liked to write, but at that point, my focus really was making a career out of it. Um, and so I was extremely motivated and I made progress really, really fast. Uh, I started freelancing for magazines right away and did that pretty successfully for like four or five years until magazine, print magazines started to kind of implode. Um, the industry was changing a lot. And I was kind of transitioning into doing more and more digital, wrote a few books at the same time. And the transition from print to blogging or, or digital, I would say for me, it was like print to digital to blogging because I was blogging the whole time for fun. But I started to do more and more and more of my writing digitally. And then social media was kind of coming up alongside that, which made it easier for me to get connected with different opportunities, which kind of led me into really more blogging as a career rather than doing like um, client oriented digital freelance. It's like similar, but not quite the same. And I yeah. know you started working with me at sort of the tail end of all that. And mm -hmm. so I think you saw really what I was juggling. Like I would be writing for, I might be writing a parenting column for a website. I might be doing I was writing a lot for a babble.com, but it all kind of tied back into my personal brand. And then I was, and then I had a book project that I was working on with that as well. So it was like, it turned more into like a little mini uh, media yeah. empire yeah. <laughs> where before that it had been truly like, I'd pitch a story to parenting magazine, or I'd pitch a story to good housekeeping or whatever. And they'd say yes or no to the story, but there was nothing beyond that. So yeah, it was very different. all interconnected. Yeah. yeah. And I think you rattled off a few terms and I think it's worth defining for those who've had no like experience in this industry. When you obviously people have know what a magazine is. And like you just said, a magazine article, yeah. um, digital would have been still freelance articles, but maybe they were published, like you said, on babble.com or yeah. yahoo finance.com or right. NBC news, think.com. I know you're going to talk about it later. So that would be an example of like, you are published, but it's, it lives on the internet, not in a printed magazine. Um, and then when you transitioned into blogging for money, it was because you had built your own personal blog and the writing and the platform and the audience was robust enough that you were actually getting kind of like sponsored content deals or sponsored yeah. deals, almost similarly to how we've worked with brands on the, Very on the mom similar. hour. So I'm just yeah. trying to parse that because, um, you had like, you wrote an entire wave of earning money from your writing, but actually like looked very different from all those, all those yeah. different angles. It's kind of mind boggling to think about how much it changed over the years, actually, because I remember a time when I had so many different, like disparate kinds of things happening that I couldn't keep track of it without a spreadsheet. I had to have a spreadsheet of all of my stories that were in progress, everything I'd pitched, you know, I was doing this kind of client thing over here. And then maybe I was billing hourly for that. And this was like on a regular contract. And like, I had a lot going on and it did eventually simplify, but for a few years there, it was quite a lot of juggling. And mm -hmm. I also want to point out that it was my full-time income for well over a decade. I made a full-time income from writing. So I, 
I had to really treat it like a media business, even yep. though sometimes it looked a little more like freelancing and sometimes it looked a little more like blogging. It still was like very much like a business that had to be run that way. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Why don't you share a little history of your writing background? Yeah, mine is um, in the beginning. It's almost like the opposite of yours um, because I started out as a corporate writer. So I it was my full time job, but inside a, a corporate structure. Um, before that, I was a creative writing major in college for a while, I backed off of, I was almost a poetry major, a poetry writing major. And then I backed off of the writing concentration. Can I just quickly ask mm -hmm. you, how many poems do you think you wrote? Oh my gosh. Before you decided it wasn't for you. <laughs> I mean, Megan, well, I was a prolific poet from about 13 on. So by the time I was 21 and decided to bail on actually getting my degree as a creative writing poetry concentration, um, I mean, hundreds. I, I I just remembered this the other day. I had a little group of like friends in the dorm that we would have like like a poetry writing group outside of our classes and we would come and share and critique each other's 
poems. Isn't that kind of a, it's like very romantic and adorable. Yes. Like we were 19, 20, or 21. adorable as they adorable. Yes. Yeah. And there were two, at least one boy, two boys. It was really sweet. It's really sweet. But I, um, I bailed and became just an English major toward the end there, but I almost, I almost finished a creative writing degree. Um, and then in my twenties, I, um, was a corporate writer and that job, I was like trying to list all the kinds of writing I did. I mean, I did like strategic communications and like internal communications. I did some ghostwriting. I created course content and like, um, educational material. I did copywriting. I, I was not directly in marketing, but I always interfaced with marketing. It was such good, um, writing and communications experience. That was all in my twenties, like 2005 to 2010. And then after having a couple of babies and staying home, I found my way into parenting blogging, um, and a little bit of magazine freelancing. And those were the years when I was overlapping with you. So we've kind of already talked about what the landscape was like in those years. I never did a ton of personal blogging, but I did sort of hitch my wagon to what we were just talking about. This kind of like late mommy blogging bubble. And I, I really benefited, I think from what I learned in that space, even though I wasn't, that was not an active career for me, partly because I was staying home with two little babies in that season of life. I had time for a couple freelance gigs at a time, but I was the opposite of you where you say you were, that was your full-time income. My full-time yeah. income as a writer was pre-kids when I was working corporately, when I was writing with little kids, it was a very part-time income. So one of the things that this is a total sidebar, but listening to you talking about your poetry um, endeavors and then just thinking about how differently things could have gone. I think it's so interesting the way we look at like our chosen paths in any field or craft or whatever, our art, that we feel we feel like um, the person is right or not right for the thing, right? Or like uh, that I she's a born poet or that right. person is a natural artist. In a way, the thing you do again and again shapes who you are. Yeah. So like, had you decided at that very plastic moment of your life when yeah. you were still being formed and molded to go all in on poet Sarah, mm -hmm. how would that make you different? Like, would you be a different Sarah? Right. I mean, yeah, probably. Yeah. Would you I, wear I'd berets? Probably, yeah, maybe. I'd probably be a professor is what I would be. And I would have stayed yeah. in academia probably. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just so interesting how we, we can shape to some degree our realities and the thing that we do and practice again and again and again, in some ways makes us who we are. So right now we're, you know, um, parenting podcasters, but we are also writers. And the more yeah. we tap into that side of us, like the, the writerly side, the more writerly we become. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, back in those days, let's just touch on what writing looked like for us like physically where did we do it were the kids yeah. around when did we do it yeah all that well okay so in my corporate life pre-kids um I worked in a office with a cubicle there were times where I had my own little office times where I was in a cubicle I have a memory when I was like actually on a true writing deadline um I would take my probably heavy laptop at that time and headphones and I would go down to a different part of the office building where no one could bother me which I think is just relatable as a writer. Like wherever you are as a writer, there's always that deadline where you're like, I got to get out of here. Like I got, I got to go somewhere else where no one can talk to me. 
Um, but then when I was writing as a mom after having kids, um, I did a lot of writing during nap time. Um, you and I were just off the podcast talking about lower back pain recently. And I have all these memories because my lower back, uh, pain was worse when I had worst when I had like toddlers, cause I was constantly picking them up and putting them down and doing car seats. And so a lot of times uh, sitting was uncomfortable. So I would write standing at my kitchen counter cause I had a bar height counter. So the laptop that was like a standing desk before those were cool. And, um, or lying down on the carpet on my belly, like propped up over a laptop. Um, a lot of nap time, a lot of after bedtime, a lot of like little bits of time here and there. Um, a little bit of preschool hours, but again, during during that time when I had small kids, I was not trying to produce a full-time income. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, same shenanigans were happening for me when it was in, and for me, it, there was no pre-kids writing really, except for not, and not professionally, not like in any kind of consistent way. So it was all kids and later. Yeah. Um, and I mostly wrote at home, which meant, you know, sometimes writing around Blue's Clues or whatever, a lot of nap time writing. Um, back then I could st- still make my brain fire at night. Like now it's no good after seven or eight o'clock, unless there's like a lot of caffeine involved or a very pressing deadline. But back then I really could get in another two or three hours after the kids went to bed, which I did frequently too. So I just kind of, it was catch as catch can. And I think that's the case for a lot of moms. I think we have an episode we did years ago where we talked, where I talked a little bit more about things that I would do like, um, take the kids for a drive till they fell asleep when they were really little and then get out and write on the hood of my car. <laughs> like I remember doing the craziest stuff. So yeah. you do what you got to do. I yeah. didn't really ever have consistent childcare, but I would do things like um, swap with friends or my brother and I for a while were like trading with each other. And then we had a sitter that we shared. So every now and then I would have time to mm-hmm. get out and usually I'd have to leave my house. So um I would write at a coffee shop. I I remember being at the library a lot. I would go spend hours at the library. And I remember very specifically the room I would sit in and um, like where I would sit while I wrote. And I sometimes had office space outside of the house. I usually had some place in my house, like some dedicated space to go to. I've always been a little sporadic in the way I've used it, but like it is nice to have, and it's nice to have a place where you can at least keep all like the semblance of a professional life, even if you aren't actually using it for writing. So I'm thinking about you in those years because paper was still, it's not like there wasn't internet and digital, but you would have had probably more physical stuff. A a freelance writer today could have like a MacBook air and that's practically it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need a MacBook. I, had you, a I, was lot. Thinking, I was trying to picture like a really skinny, a really light computer, light yeah. computer. And you probably had a lot of, I had notebooks. contracts yeah. and not notebooks. I had, um, printed materials often that I would have to refer, like refer to. I carried around print magazines to yeah. use as references. So yeah, there was a lot more stuff. Um, yeah. I actually came across an old scrapbook I had made of my writing clips not too long ago. And I don't remember where I put them. It actually made me feel a little cringy. I don't know why. Like it just, I don't know why it just was like, Oh, I don't want to read these, but yeah. Um, yeah, definitely things were physical and, and I needed space for that. Um, but yeah, there was just, it was a lot. I think this is probably true regardless of how a mom might be writing or for what reason I'm sure she's doing it in many creative positions, Uh whether it's on the floor on her belly or, um, with a kid crawling over her. So 
Yeah. So then we kind of both shifted into a stage where we weren't writing as much. So I want to talk a little bit about that because it happened to both of us, Mm -hmm. which I think is interesting because it happened for very different reasons to each of us. Well, maybe Um, one Venn diagram of an overlapping reason, don't you think? Well, writing a podcast. Yes, 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 yes. This podcast. Yes. Um, So let's just kind of talk about those like conflicts and how it can be hard to write consistently when you're super occupied by something else, like creatively, or maybe life is hard or complicated. So for me, I'd already been sort of, I don't know, pulling back on personal blogging by 2012, 2013. A lot of that was due to things happening in the industry. I knew we were in a bubble to begin with, and that proved to be very true. Pinterest really made things hard if you weren't a super visual blogger who wanted to be making Pinterest friendly images. And that was never my strong suit. Um, but then in 2020, 2014, 2015, my marriage started to struggle and we launched the mom hour in 2015. So I, I never really pieced it all together at that time, but I think in addition to just being not wanting to blog as much and and not knowing what to do with that next, I got a little burned out on like the young kid, new mom topics in that form. It's mm-hmm. interesting that the mom hour, especially in the beginning, that's all we talked about was like yeah. having little kids, but it was different to talk about it than it was to write about it. Yeah. Plus you had me. I mean, and, and I, I, had, I you. had a two year old yeah. when we started the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like we could just show up and like talk about our lives. I didn't have to edit, you know, as writers, we do a lot of a lot. I know you and I are both pretty perfectionistic about our writing. We're perfectionists about writing an email. Oh, yeah. We will go back and forth. We just today. <laughs> spent a good hour going back and like forth three about days. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just an hour today, but it's been in just for an email that we wanted to send that we wanted to word just right. I mean, I would say the majority of our career has been, well, not the majority, but a lot of our career has been you and I like arguing or agreeing usually on the yeah. finer points of an email, a low stakes email. Yeah. Well, or a medium stakes email. I actually right. think we both love it so much. It's not even arguing. It's like it keeps getting better and better until right. this is the best email anyone's the ever received. So, so the funny thing is, if you're the person, if you're a person who you would be in the position to receive an email from us with good news, like something that you're going to be excited about, it's going to be like the best. Like we're going to go all out and give you the yep. best news ever. And you're going to love it. If you are among the small number of people that we've had to, um, get cranky with mm-hmm. like you're gonna get it I I sometimes feel like what do what must people think when they get an email from an angry Megan and Sarah well first of all there are zero loopholes you will not find anything <laughs> in won't, any paragraph we that we you, haven't we're like there's lawyers. no way out there's it, no way out there's no way out crafted a perfect <laughs> narrative and a perfect argument for our, our position but like we're just I mean we're very dedicated to the yeah. art of email writing. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track a little bit here, but yeah, like I feel like you and I were partnering on this totally new venture and that was exciting and it, it, it scratched a creative itch. And at the same time, my kids were getting older and like one after another, they had older kids struggles and that was a lot. And I, I felt like there was this whole narrative that I'd written that felt true when they were young. And actually it was true when they were young. Um, but then like, I was like, well, this is a whole new story that's happening yeah. and I need to sit with it. I don't know what to say about it. I don't have any 
I don't have any pretty words for it. So yeah. talking was much easier for quite a long time. One thing I think is really interesting that I kind of unpacked on my Substack last summer or spring or something was that I never stopped referring to myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. I would go to the dentist or whatever, and they'd ask me to write my occupation, and I would just automatically write writer. Then I'm like, I, but I haven't written anything yeah. in a long time besides besides really good emails. Um, it it never stopped feeling like my identity, and that I think tells you something when you feel that yeah. way. Yeah, I agree. Um, this was such a good exercise to think about, like what happened 2014, 2015-ish with the growth of the podcast and the the sort of move away from personal writing or any kind of writing for me. So there's some similarities and differences. Um, One is around that exact same time, I moved away. I moved from Scottsdale, Arizona to Orange County. And my beginnings as a a published writer or a, a professional writer had all happened in Arizona. I was the managing editor for a local parenting site and I was freelancing for a regional parenting magazine, print magazine there in Arizona. So I moved. So I lost my local contacts. And I remember like being in the new city, having three little kids, having a podcast that was growing and feeling like I should probably like, what are the regional parenting magazines around here? What? And I just never, I never established with any kind of a writer community locally. And I will say that's something for those listening. I think there's so much to be gained from connecting in person with other local writers, even people doing it on a very small or hobby basis. Um, that has always been really meaningful to me. And I just, I didn't do it when we moved, um, to Southern California. So that was one thing, the podcast growing, like you said, um, was another thing. And I think I, there's a pattern in my writing life that if, if something is, uh, bigger and more demanding and shinier professionally, um, that still feel like, scratching that creative itch, as you said, it's very hard for me to carve out additional time just for personal writing. So I guess what I mean by that is the path of least resistance for me is the thing that someone is in front of me saying, I want you to write this, or I want you to do this, or I will pay you for doing this. Um, I think there are other, there are writers who are not wired like that. Like, I think there are writers who just have to, they're, they're staying up later. They're getting up early to just get words out in a journal. Um, that is not me. Uh, so I actually like, I think it was, it was a, what am I trying to say? Not that it was easy, but it was easy for me to let go because I will almost always choose the thing that is, it has a shape to it. It has deadlines. It has a schedule. It has a structure. And that was the podcast for the most part. So it just, the podcast grew into the space in my life that I had room for at that time. It's interesting because I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, Emma, I also really benefit from structure when it comes to consistently writing. But for me, the art, the art of writing often felt like it was getting a little lost because I was just doing it to make money. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, And I had to make money from it. As soon as the podcast started to take off in a way where I was like, oh, this could be a thing. Like this could be a thing that actually... And that didn't happen for several years, but right. there was other things that were happening in between. I did have client work that I was doing, like um, consulting, content strategy, things like that. I wasn't doing personal writing, but I was still living in that world of words for a couple more years after that period. Um, but once I had the podcast and other things replace my personal writing as a way to make money, there was this feeling of relief. Okay, I don't have to do that 
for writing anymore. I don't have to write for money anymore. Yay. Now I can just write whatever I want to write. And then it was like, womp, womp, womp. Like then I just didn't, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd, I'd shaped this whole writer existence around other people wanting to pay me for what I was doing. And without that, I was like, well, now what do I have? Like what is left? I played around. I, you know, started a couple novels. I never made past a chapter. I would go long periods without writing. I wasn't reading a whole lot. There was just, there was a lot happening. And I also know that there are people who, um, when they're going through something really hard, like write their way through it. And I don't think I'm that person either. I think I need to live it and then look back at it and figure out what the nugget is, which isn't to say I never wrote anything when I was like early divorce. I have some snippets of things I started. What I think is really interesting is one time I went back and thought I had this whole, in my mind, I had like half a memoir written or something. (laughs) And I went back and dug it up and it was like sentences that were, didn't even string together in my mind. It had taken on a lot more than I could get actually in down in words while it was happening. The other thing that I think was in the mix for both of us at in, in this time period is the rapid rise of ways to capture a thought on social media quickly and cleverly. So first it was like, for me, like funny Twitter like drew me in people who in 140 characters could just like have a really witty observation about the world. I loved that. And then it was like the longer sort of poignant Instagram essay. And I feel like this, this is not a value judgment either way, good or bad is just, if I had ideas instead of being like, so a nugget of an idea would happen and I would quickly need to capture it somewhere. And in the old model that would turn into like, an essay pitch or yeah. like a magazine pitch. And it's like, or I could just take a and picture of done. this empty bowl of cereal and write a mini essay. And then I feel like I've written something again, not good or bad, but it did change the way um, that more long form writing. First of all, I didn't have a, for me, I won't speak for you, but I had little kids. So long form writing was going to be more challenging, but also there was this very immediate gratification of a social media essay for both of us, I think got a lot of like people liked our writing on social media and that became like the place for a while. A hundred percent. I, I definitely leaned on those mini essays, um, those little vignettes, let's say to feel as though I had developed an idea fully. And sometimes would on the other side of it, I'd be like, didn't I write an essay about this once? And then I'd be like, Oh no, I just wrote like, it was a Facebook post. I wrote a Facebook post (laughs) and you know, we're going to do a whole episode about the two of us stepping back from social media, just like uh, a teaser that that's Mm -hmm. coming soon. Um, but I will just say that when I got a book deal and had to sit down and start applying myself to a page again, like in actual long form, like a book length project where each idea needs to be explored in thousands of words, not hundreds. I was kicking myself a little bit (laughs) for the way I had trained my brain to think. Yeah. So I would never, like you said, I would never like criticize a, a mom in the thick of things who gets creative satisfaction in writing on Instagram or um, on any social platform or like who finds that it scratches an itch or makes it possible for her to, to explore ideas in little bursts. I would just say that like, it's very easy to 
get lazy is not even the right word, but like to develop sort of shortcuts and cheats yeah. that make it really hard to go back. Yeah. Um, so not impossible, but it's like a retraining. Yeah. 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 Totally. And it reminds me of when I was really, really prolific on Twitter and I got so good at thinking in 140 characters. Yeah. yeah. Like I thought in tweets. Yeah. And then I had to, when I, I didn't even really get off on, I didn't, it was a long time ago when I stopped using Twitter, I just kind of drifted away from it. But for a while it was like, I thought in tweets, I didn't think yeah. in full length <laughs> thoughts yeah. anymore. So just a different way of using your brain and, and it, those, those paths get wired. So we will they explore do. that soon in, in a, couple, other, weeks. In a yeah. couple of weeks. Yep. Um, Sarah, I do also want to hear a little bit more, or let's talk of a little bit more, I guess, about the writing side of podcasting. Yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about how, you know, you said like when you have something else to pour yourself into that is right in front of you and someone's saying, Hey, you need to show up and make this episode or whatever. Yeah. And, and you're good at this or you're like you're, this. Like we had a lot exactly. of like positive momentum on the podcast too. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you felt like the itch that writing once would have scratched was completely scratched by podcasting or was it just that like it was kind of using up a lot of your brain and you just didn't have time? I think it's a little bit of both. I'm glad you asked this question because maybe people listening are curious, like how we craft an episode, how we come up with ideas. I mean, 722 ideas or however many there have been. Um, there are things about what we do here that are really translate to and from seamlessly into especially like freelance writing. I mean, we are ideating all the time. We're coming up with ideas and not just an idea. Like, let's talk about, you know, like chores on the podcast, but really like what's the angle this time? What's yeah. the hook? How is this different? Why is it relevant now? Why is this timely? What's our unique take on it? Those are all questions that as writers, we learn to like look at all the time. And so that part feels very similar and, and creatively energizing in the same way. We're refining ideas. We're thinking about packaging and promotion. Like, like how can this episode, you know, capture attention when there's 500 other podcasts doing episodes about chores. So there's like all of those things are skills that help a writerly life. At the same time, they are not writing. I don't know what you call those. Those are those are part of the writing process, but they are not the work itself. And so that's why I, I just say it's both. Um, it definitely scratched that itch. And honestly, those are some of my favorite things about a writerly life. It's why I really enjoy collaborative work. I enjoy being an editor. Like I I really like all of that, but it, it can take away from the butt in chair fingers yes. on keyboard. So it's, it's both. Yeah. It's a, it's an adjacent and complementary <laughs> but different skill set. Yeah. Um, one is very broad and one is very deep. And, um, it reminds me a little bit more of like what it would be like nowadays to be like a creative director for, a uh, maybe a digital media company or a editor in chief for like a large lifestyle women's magazine brand. Mm -hmm. It's not about the magazine anymore, right? And now it's about all the verticals. You've got the this and this and this, and you have to be always thinking across many different ways to reach audiences. And even though our major way was through an hour-ish long podcast, um, there was a lot also happening mm -hmm. within that and a lot of spinning off and a lot of figuring out how we could most effectively work with uh, advertisers, like things like yeah. that. So Lots, lots, lots. And yeah, you're right. It does suck up that time. It can also suck up a lot of that energy. It doesn't give you the quiet right. breathing space That's you right. need to really 
dive in on a piece of writing. Just very, very different. It's interesting. We know a lot of writers who also podcast. Um, and may- that's maybe it's just because that's who we hang out with. But um, I, I think it's probably really satisfying for writers who've spent a lot of time solitary looking at you know just the worst like being on deadline or like looking at a blank page there's a lot of reasons that that's kind of a torturous existence if you're doing it like 40 hours a week so something about podcasting is like same and different and so I'm I'm sure we're not the only ones who felt that like it's complimentary and it could also be a distraction from the true the true pursuit I also think that the way we have run chosen to run and been very happy with running our podcast is really different from the way a lot of people run theirs in that we have taken on every business function on mm-hmm. our own and really run like we are business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't turn that stuff over to anybody else to run for us. Like we do all of it. So that's also like we're wearing a lot of hats too. Yep. And, yeah. and it's primarily just us talking like we're, we do some interviews, but we're not we're not an interview podcast. So we're also not interviewers. We are still basically creating the content with our own words most episodes. I mean, you all know there's sometimes other people on, but for the most part, and that I think is more similar to writing than some podcasts are to writing. Um, if it's a straight interview. So yeah. Interesting. Okay. Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes. I'm not wearing things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. 
All right. Well, let's talk about what our writing lives look like now. Um, like what kind of writing we're doing and how we made our way back after sort of taking that break. I think I was pretty low key um, flying under the radar with putting any writing out there into the world until either the pandemic or right before the pandemic. It might have been 2019. Maybe I might have started doing a little pitching again. Um, but really, it was like around that 2019, 2020 period that I started to slowly just get back out there. I contributed some stories to NBCnews.com, a couple to the Washington Post. Mostly, though, I was writing those little mini essays for Instagram. But even that, I was becoming more like focused about. You know, yeah. I had kind mm -hmm. of done it very sporadically. And I think it was 2019 where it was like, oh, no, this is something I'm going to show up for starting on the, the Mom Hour account and then coming over onto my own account. Um, I started blogging during the pandemic. I launched a new little site and then I started kind of deciding, I'm not even going to say I started working on book proposals. I decided I was going to eventually work on book proposals. You opened your mind to the universe's <laughs> yes. being ready to give you a book yes, proposal. Exactly. Yeah. So that was four years ago. Right. And it's been a very slow crawl, a slow, but very satisfying. And um, the pace feels very sane, that kind mm -hmm. of crawl back, which I like. So right now I am writing on my Substack quite regularly, few, two, three times a week. I'm working on my book, which did take a big chunk of time to write that proposal back in the spring. And then I shopped it all early summer, um, shopped it around to publishers and then have been technically working on the book yeah. itself since you it have. sold you're back in, in you're, September. Is, you're working on it. You I'm are. working on it. It's, it's hard. Like I, for many reasons, it's hard. Um, I also took a job as a writer and editor for a North Michigan lifestyle magazine. So that's a whole thing, right? Yeah. So right now I am not feeling an urge to pitch freelance. Really? That's just like a different mindset to be in. Like I said, with like just being in that hungry, chasing the work mindset with the spreadsheet and keeping it all yeah. going and, and it's changed a lot. And I, the industry has changed a lot and I don't care about it right now, really, but that could change. I could see myself getting back into that again, eventually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm again, I'm juggling, but the things I'm juggling feel like big chunks of things. Yeah, exactly. You have, you have a few things juggling, but you don't have like 25, like you've got like three to four big ones. Right. So, okay. I mean, the book, Something about a book deadline, a book draft deadline, once the thing is sold, feels very daunting to me. Are you and then you also like Substack and Substack is totally like on on your own. It's not for money right now. It's just on your own. And then you have a like a paying gig. So I would I would imagine that the urgent and important, you know, that grid of like what's urgent, what's not urgent, what's important, what's not important, that that yeah. would be hard to uh, prioritize or navigate. How are you like balance? How are you juggling those rocks? Oh, um, not particularly well at the moment, but I, okay. I'm very good under pressure. So as my deadline um, approaches, I am finding myself giving it more time and making some more headway. Let's just say on the book, on the book. Yeah. As far as it's not a time thing anymore. Like I've got time for all mm -hmm. of it. My kids are old now and they're not even with me half the time, but it, it is, it's the urgency. It's like if something drops into my 
email and it's somebody needing me to jump on something, my, and I'm talking about like maybe somebody at my job, right? Mm -hmm. My inclination is to jump on that first. Yeah. And not to carve time out for myself because I know, oh, I can make that up later. What I eventually everyone runs out of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like eventually I could really get myself in trouble with that. So I'm trying to remember that. I'm trying not to let things that aren't my problem be my problem because I think that can be a distraction or maybe even a procrastination yep. tool. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And we'll talk a little bit more later about um, when we're actually doing the writing. But right now for me, that is a, an expanding thing, like how I'm starting to make time for that and fit it into my life. Do you think um, we should briefly tell people what Substack is? I have just yeah. run into a couple people uh, recently in real life who don't know about Substack. So maybe our listeners, um, just tell them about your Substack if they're not familiar. Yeah. So Substack is, it, it really started off as sort of an alternate to like a news, like an email newsletter platform. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that was really what it was intended to be. People are really using it as blogging software slash like community building. There's a lot happening in yeah. Substack, and I really use mine. I use mine as a blog that makes it super simple to write and for people to find me. That's really my, the reason I'm on that platform. There's lots of other platforms out there. This one, it just seems to make it really seamless. And a lot of writerly writers are on there. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say. It's easy to connect with other people. You know, um, I think it's getting a little saturated right Mm -hmm. now. And I'm starting to think like, okay, at some point is, are people just going to start leaving or is it going to like not be as effective, but that's okay. Cause right now I'm just treating it as a place to put my writing. It, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me. It could be a sub stack. It could be on WordPress. It could be anywhere. It doesn't really matter, but it is, you can also put yourself behind a paywall. So Mm -hmm. Some of my stuff is premium and it's behind the paywall. A lot of it's free, um, but it, I'm truly treating it like a personal blog. Yeah. So mine's just at myname.substack.com and yeah. most people's are like that. Yeah, I think it's it's fun to play around on there and see like who you, you know, sometimes like some OG bloggers maybe you used yeah. to read are on there. And, yeah. and some people truly are treating it just like a blog. Some people are much more um, strategic about it. It almost feels like it has the, the feeling of like a online, like an immersive online space. Like there's lots of ways you can use it. It's, it's a tool. Like I, I always get, I always feel like I want to caution people against, um, conflating their work with us, with a platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you are not, yes. a, you are not your platform. You're, You're not, not a, a platformer. You are a writer. Who yeah. uses the tool called Substack to write, yep. and I think that's an important, it's an important um, distinction because otherwise it's really easy to get caught up in playing the game of the platform mm-hmm. you're on. Which mm-hmm. you know, Substack has a business model just like Instagram, just like any any yeah. platform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm I am admiring how much you're getting done right now. So you're going to keep everybody posted on your book writing process. I know. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I have a lot less to share because I really feel like I'm like two to three years behind you in the um, like getting back on the on ramp of writing, which is funny because that just feels like that's on brand for us. Like I'm always just a little behind. I'm a little bit younger. So there you go. But I also feel like and I don't think this is not a criticism at all. I feel like you were really good about uh, resisting or setting a boundary when you just didn't want to do it. Like you yeah. would just say, that's just not something I'm doing right now. I never got the feeling that 
you know, in like, let's say 2019 or 2020 or 2021 that you were wistfully imagining yourself writing again, it was just kind of like, no, nope, not really doing that at the moment. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things to share just as I'm like tiptoeing back in, um, I am freelancing for a local newspaper here in Santa Barbara. It's a weekly, it's a, it started as like our arts and entertainment weekly, but then our regular daily newspaper folded. That's a whole, there's a whole saga there. If anyone wants to Google it. Um, so now we don't really have a regular newspaper. This is kind of the regular newspaper and they, um, launched like a parenting section on their website a few months ago. And I have been freelancing for them. And that's been fun. I actually really enjoy like pitching article ideas and working with an editor. Like I really enjoyed that back in the, there's something collaborative about that. That feels really good. And going back to what I said earlier, having an assignment really helps me get the work done. So that's been fun. It is funny to be like, like, cause my picture's been in the paper a couple of times or on the website or they'll promote something on their social media and it's my town. So I get like people talk to me about it, like at the school pickup line or like my parents' friends. And I find it so funny because we have this podcast that reaches, you know, many, many thousands of people really all over the world. And then I have an article that reaches like, I don't know, a much, much smaller audience but it's in people's face and it's in my town. So people think I'm like famous. Now I remember you saying that when you had a parenting column, like it was kind of the same back in the day. Or when I was on the radio locally, people thought that was my whole career. They're like, Oh, what's it like to be a radio star? I'm like, I don't make any money at this radio gig. This is for funsies. It was, but yes. And I was, it was always interesting to me how much more local attention and I'd be like, but I have this other thing I do. I know. And And I, I, it is, I'm stretching myself to not like, make it weird for people. Just be like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. Like I don't need to explain. No, no, just like, don't make it weird, Sarah. So that's been really fun. I'm hoping to do a little bit more of that. And, um, yeah. And then I'm, I'm just trying to like, I think it is for me getting that identity of writer back in my regular parlance. Like it's not like I, I am a writer. That's what I'm doing. So I'm at the very beginning. Well, this is a great time to ask a question of you that I know a lot of our listeners might be wondering because you've done a lot of writing for local parenting publications, local publications. Mm-hmm. How have you gone about making those connections or do you have advice for writers who maybe want to do some local or regional writing? Cause that's a great place to get started. Yeah. It also, is. if you're trying to get off, like you're trying to get off Instagram and get your name out there a little more widely and you want to be local famous like Sarah, yeah. um, it's a great way to do it. So how to get started. Well, I just think there's something that's much less intimidating about local. And so if you have any, if you have a local publication, you can probably pretty easily find out who the editor is or who's, who's running the show. Um, you probably can track down an email. Um, I know we just laughed about getting off Instagram, but I would actually say that these publications, many of them are heavily using their socials to promote their content. So how I made contact is that they announced on their Instagram that they were starting a specific section of the paper for parenting. And I, there was like an email address that was there for like, I think it was reach. It wasn't reach out for submissions. They weren't opening up for submissions, but they had an email address there. And I just cold pitched him. I said, I am a parenting writer. Um, I'm excited that you guys are doing this. And I actually had coffee with that editor and we kind of got to know each other, but if you were brand, brand new, like an outreach email with an introduction is totally appropriate. It's not as scary as like, you're not emailing the editor in chief of parents magazine or something like that. Or, and, and I'm not also assuming everyone in our audience wants to write about parenting. So maybe it's like your local, like 
botanic gardens bird watching publication that like s- something local or niche specific is going to have um, an editor. It's probably one of 20 jobs they have or a volunteer gig. It's just a much, I just feel like it's more approachable and people are friendly. And even if they don't have money to pay you or even an assignment to give you, it's, it's um, always good to make those um, contacts. If you are interested in more, I remembered we have a couple of really good blog posts on our website from two of our contributors who are professional writers. Um, Jennifer is a, she has a um, guide to starting her freelance writing career, like without putting any money up front and some really tactical tips. And then Stacey Bronick, who's a beautiful writer, um, has a post about how she got started writing. So I feel like um, I would send people to those two posts. And then, yeah, local local and small is a great place to just introduce or pitch yourself. It, it You might be surprised at the opportunities that come out of there. And then those become clips that you can use to pitch bigger outlets. Yeah. Um, now that I'm on the other side of the editor's desk, like this is the first job I've had where I'm fielding incoming pitches for a magazine or a, uh-huh. or like the digital product. Um, it, we're always looking for ideas yeah. and solid writers. And we're not even that concerned with like someone's background. Honestly, right. I don't remember like digging into anyone's background. If they can write in the pitch, I'm happy to consider the idea if it's a good idea. And it reminds me a little bit of like when I would do theater auditions and some advice I read as a young person, like they're not looking to, they're not looking to like, um, strike you out. Like the person auditioning you is not someone, they don't want you to flop. They want you to be amazing. Like they're on your side. And it's the same way. It's the same way with with written pitches and and pitching your work. Like they need you really, no matter what level you're pitching, the per the editor needs you as much as you need them. So Mm -hmm. um, just don't forget that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about when we write, Sarah, I know this is something that is um, an emerging practice for you. Yeah. So talk about that. Yeah. I'll be quick about it. Um, I decided a couple of weeks ago um, that I was really feeling stuck with any kind of like free writing, personal writing, this whole, this whole like uh, chicken and egg situation of like, if no one has assigned me a story, what the heck am I supposed to write? So I just committed to 20 minutes a day with a blank Google document. Um, pretty unconditional, like no exceptions, but also no expectations. And that's very new for me. Um, and I'm doing it digitally instead of in a journal notebook. Um, because I do think I have more of a, I have my writer hat on more at the computer than in, than in a journal, but I am not, um, like I am, it's like free writing like this will, no one will ever see it. I am not caring or judging myself. Sometimes it's like free, like sometimes it's just all over the place. And I'm really trying to be unconditional about doing it every day so that I can be really kind to myself about whatever comes out, which is like garbage. And so that's a new experiment. I haven't tried anything like that. I'm doing it um, any time of day because I picked 20 minutes because it's short enough that there's no excuses. Even if I get to the end of the day, I could do that before bed for 20 minutes. Right. So I know a lot of writers like choose first thing in the morning. And I think I would, I would, if I had a big project to tackle, but because it's only 20 minutes, I actually really like it in the early afternoon. Like maybe before pickup, something about like the, the kids school pickup is looming and I have my two o'clock coffee. And so, yeah, I will have to report back because this is very new and very unlike me. Um, I'm very proud of you for this because I think 
that no expectations attached and not mm-hmm. deadline driven and like who cares what it even right. is that is yeah that goes against the grain of what everything of you <laughs> yes that just goes against your grain you yes, it, it just does. goes against you thank you so for validating i that. will be very curious to see and i have a feeling it's gonna take some time mm-hmm. to produce anything i, I agree you're going to do this a lot and it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to yep. be like, why am I doing this? And then you'll get movement one day, three months from now. Totally. I agree. And and you've done, you've talked a lot about yoga and meditation and things like that. It is literally just the commitment to the practice. And that is so hard, but so applicable to so many things in our life. Yeah. Well, I right now, because of the, because of the J-O-B type job, that means I'm, I'm just writing and editing a lot for that. And I, you know, there's still things to do for the podcast and that's like, that kind of takes up a big chunk of the middle of my day. So I have set aside eight to 9 AM for personal writing. That's because there's nobody emailing me about Mm -hmm. anything like work related. I don't feel like I need to be on the clock or anything before that. And the kids are gone and that's a nice, like quiet time for me where I feel like the um, the, the, the problems of the day haven't started to infiltrate my brain yet. Uh-huh. Like the things that are going to be feeling like my, my to-do list, my very optimistic to-do list with five things on it, it's going to start expanding. I know that, but probably not until after 9am. So there's like a window of time where I can just show up for my writing, my personal writing right now, I'm really specifically looking at the book. Now I need to be working at the book on the book more than five hours a week, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not enough, but what it does is it helps get me moving on things. It helps me, it greases the wheels. It it opens up an idea where I'm like, man, I'm so stuck. And then because I'm in this quiet space, suddenly something is like breaks loose. And then the rest of the day, I can't wait to get back to it. And that's Mm -hmm. where I want to be. Otherwise it sometimes feels like I never got around to it. Now it's the end of the day and it's too much. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have any movement. I don't have mm-hmm. any ideas. So I will often, I also agree that like one to three for me is a time of high energy. And it's often a time when I'm very creatively moving, especially if I've like gone mm-hmm. for a walk or something. I like to go for a walk and then come back and write right after I get back. Mm, um, but I have to have some material to work with. Yeah. There has to be something there Yep. Um, to percolate, like some ferment happening yeah. so yeah. we could use a lot of food metaphors but yes. or gardening gardening, gardening metaphors right. always work yes. too <laughs> exactly so so eight to nine is like my set aside time but I'm right now honestly I'm just writing all the time mm-hmm. um I also at my mighty network community called the tea circle we have a Wednesday morning group where a group of us gets together and it's called a co-create circle and the idea is we just put on our zoom cameras and um, we're on Zoom on camera, and but we're all muted and we're all just quietly working. So you have the accountability to show up for other people and everyone's mm-hmm. working on something different. So someone Love might that. be like organizing the recipes and someone might be um, knitting I and mean, it's everything. And that's wow. just been also super helpful because it's a period of time to show up for. Yeah. Um, and I just know this is, I'm not gonna be, because someone, I'm on camera, so I'm not gonna wander away and go load the dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stay on my camp on my computer and work. I love that. Well, Sarah, this has been such a fun conversation. And we also know we didn't talk about where we're currently writing. That's because that's a big topic all its own. So 
we have a separate conversation about our creative spaces over at my podcast, The Tea's Made. Um, that dropped last Thursday, so it's already there waiting for you. So just look for The Tea's Made with Megan Francis wherever you listen to podcasts, and that episode should be up. And you can find out about where we're getting in these yeah. writing, these cozy writing sessions or sometimes less cozy writing yeah. sessions. Yeah, definitely <laughs> go check that out. We're also in pre-orders for our upcoming guided journal that we mentioned. And I kind of touched on this, but something a lot of people don't know, and I did not know this myself before now, is that pre-orders are really important to how much interest a book can drum up from retailers and the media and all the different partners we'll have in making, you know, making it successful. So if you follow any writers, they'll often talk a lot about pre-orders. And I've noticed that over the years and thought, oh, that must matter. But I guess I yeah. never really knew that it, it actually like trips the metrics. Um, so all the books that get ordered before the book officially launches, which for us is next week, mm -hmm. really matter. So if you think it might interest you, this would be a great time to order a copy for yourself. Or I was thinking like, what if people ordered a little stack of these books mm -hmm. and put them in their closet? They'd be great Mother's Day gifts, baby shower gifts. Um, you can find it online, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble. Or if you wanted to shop indie bookstores, which we yeah. personally love, go to mm -hmm. bookshop.org. Yeah. And um, let's just talk a little bit about like, what, what is this book again? So it's called The Mother's Gratitude Journal. And it's funny that we're talking about like writer's block and other, other writing obstacles today, Megan, because journaling for me was really, really challenging, is really challenging. But especially when I had little kids, babies and little kids, because yeah. it's like, what do you, it's like, dear diary. This day was the same again. This it's is like yesterday. Yes, this is yesterday. It's like there's huge feelings and emotions in motherhood, but also it can kind of all run together. And uh, in a lot of seasons of life, like it feels like not much is happening, but so much is changing. So we had so much fun putting together this guided journal. It has different kinds of prompts that are really meant to like, if you just had a couple of minutes to capture like a day in the life of like, what is your motherhood life like right now? Um, there's different page templates that allow you to do that very quickly. We also have a section called quick lists, which is really fun. And it's like seven smells that define my motherhood life right now, or, you know, four other moms in my life. I admire what that kind of thing. Um, so these are designed to get you kind of thinking, re like reflecting thoughtfully on your motherhood experience, but not needing to take, you know, six pages of, um, Dear Diary stuff flowing out of your pen. So yeah. I I feel like this is the journal that I might have actually been able to keep up with um, when I was yeah. a newer mom. And I'm saying newer mom, this really any stage of motherhood would work for this because it is designed to be, you know, to work for any stage of motherhood, um, not just new moms. I just was a newer mom when I was so overwhelmed by the thought of journaling and capturing yeah. like capturing memories that I want to look back on later. Another thing I love about this is that I think there's a difference between the kind of free writing that's a dear diary, which might not make it into some, a keepsake, you know, right. like a keepsake journal like this. These prompts are going to be really helpful because they're going to help you get to the point quickly. Mm -hmm. And it'll be something you can keep around and look back at later without being like, oh my gosh, like, why did I just go on and on for seven pages before I got to the point and right. never really got to the point. So it's like, it's that encapsulated yes. um, snapshot of where your life is right now while helping you find little things to you know, find gratitude in, which is really important because it doesn't always come naturally. Yeah. 
So again, it's called The Mother's Gratitude Journal, an easy guide to capturing everyday joys and milestone moments. And we will link up, of course, in the show notes, um, but it comes out March 5th. So if you're listening to this today, those pre-orders in the next several days this week make a huge difference. Um, And yeah, shoot us an email if you have questions or trouble ordering. It's hello at themomhour.com. We'd love to help you out. Yep. All right. Well, we will be back with you next week. Talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you liked today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.